Hey everyone, this is Alan from the XR for Business podcast. Today's guest is Kevin Kunz, an award-winning interactive filmmaker based out of Berkeley, California. We'll be talking about making an AR video with Will I Am, creating art with Intel, and delivering on the promise of VR and AR with the San Francisco 49ers, San Jose Sharks, YouTube, and more. All that coming up on the XR for Business podcast. Kevin, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I've been so excited about this. You are making some of the coolest VR experiences. You're an award-winning interactive filmmaker. I want to just give you the platform to tell us all the cool stuff that you're working on. Sure. So over the past couple of years, we've done a lot of different VR work, ranging from filming the 49ers, Colin Kaepernick's last season with them, to the San Jose Sharks, getting guys just like crunched against the glass in VR, seeing those front row seats. It's something that many sports fans' wildest dreams. We're also currently working on projects that are more in the restorative justice side of things. I'm working on a VR series about an African-American filmmaker, Kevin Epps, who he's kind of like the Spike Lee of San Francisco is what a lot of people say, but he works mainly in documentary And three years ago, he got involved in an incident that SFPD at the time said was self-defense, a self-defense shooting. And now three years later, he's been rearrested, and they're saying it's murder. And he was recently uh, got out of bail. I actually um, picked him up from the jail and drove him home. And so I've been documenting his experience and his family's experience in VR because it is the empathy platform. It is the, the medium that many people we'll see things different. And basically, this is a series that can also be shown in standard video format. We plan to go online with it on Amazon or Netflix and present it like that, and then have it be an additional thing that maybe Netflix or Amazon has on their platform in the Oculus or HTC. And then you can see it in 3D and in full peripheral, and maybe giving people access to additional footage as well. For instance, I had the idea of making an interactive feature where you are doing interviews with some of these high-profile people. For instance, we have this great um, rapper, Mr. Fab, who we interviewed, and he's known Kevin since he was about like 18, 19 years old. And he is so eloquent with all of his language. He He's like one of the most interesting people that I've ever interviewed. And so giving the access of this footage that normally you would not use in the final product this five-part series and and normally editors would put this on a dvd deleted scenes or they just put it in the trash they put it on a hard drive and it would never see the light of day and instead my idea would be that you take this footage and make it an interactive app where you're in the headset and you actually have cue cards around you and can ask these questions in a way you become the investigator the interviewer Cool. So so how is it interactive then? Is it just like a pop-up gaze control or? Yeah, I mean, maybe it could be gaze controlled if we wanted to go through like YouTube or something like that. Or if it's, you know, you have the finger control, you can just click on it. But the whole idea being that you have all the questions accessible to you and this footage that normally would get 80% of the interview you maybe don't use. Now you can recycle that material and people might pay an extra couple dollars to check that out. Because it's really interesting and fascinating, and especially when it's a true crime case. Um, as we've seen with Serial, you give people additional information and they just kind of want to become the, their own detective and learn more about what happened. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, yeah. I, I always thought about doing this as a narrative film, actually, and it's just kind of crazy the coincidence of 
you don't really choose the movie. The movie chooses you sometimes. In this case, that was the, the case is that I've known Kevin for about a decade previous. And his son is actually like the poster image for my last documentary, Mobilize, which is currently on Amazon Prime. Plugging that right there. But basically, he's always been very helpful for me as a filmmaker and kind of connecting me to different communities in San Francisco, SF Public Library. I remember I filmed a Q&A with him and Barry Jenkins, the director of Moonlight. And then he was like, you need to show like your films here. And that kind of like cued me to, to do screenings there and, and make that accessible. But basically, when I heard about this case and the more I learned about it and the more that I've worked with his lawyer... VR and these new technologies are very, very um, helpful in the courtroom as well. It's just a general blanket statement that I'll say, because I can't really get into too much of the details of it at this point in time. Well, what are the some of the other things you've been working on? I know you did a project with Will I Am with the Meta headset. Can you talk about that? Sure, yeah. So we filmed some AR videos with Will I Am. I think this was back in like 2015. And I had never seen anything quite like this technology up until this point in time. But basically, I, they had a black magic camera that was like plugged into these computers. And I was able in camera to see all of these holograms that Will I Am was seeing in the headset real time. And so I could frame my shots of like him playing with the skeleton and things like that with the camera. But like I had to do a dance with like five people behind me holding all these wires and cables. So it was like a really fun and like memorable shoot because of that. And Will I Am was just like such a, a really charismatic guy and just really nice. And we got a great interview with him right in the uh, Palo Alto Hills, just like looking over Silicon Valley. And we put this kind of like Apple-esque music over it and it kind of made this cute little uh, commercial and it never saw the light of day. So recently I decided to post that to YouTube because the company finally went completely done, sold all their assets off and everything. And so I said, okay, finally this footage can see the light of day as we initially shot it and intended it because they pretty much scrapped the interview and they never posted any of the cool footage. Oh, so man. I, I had told them so many times they're marketing people, like you need to be posting daily on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram to stay relevant because you're competing with giants. You're competing against Google. You're competing against Microsoft. No one knows who Meta was. So yeah. like they got a bunch of Kickstarter money. And that's when we kind of came in is we filmed the thank you video for their Kickstarter video. And we got to meet all of the employees and talk with everybody. And, you know, they had a great group that they assembled. But sadly, if they don't constantly push the envelope with media, you can't you can't stay in business now. You know, I totally get it. And we filmed some uh, VR footage for a, uh, a cannabis company. We went and filmed their 800,000 square foot facility and like just mind boggling the footage we got and it will never see the light of day. <laughs> oh, horrible. I, I hate those projects. You know, there, there's one, maybe one other I can mention here. We shot a piece with Air National Guard, which was pretty dope. We had like a Hummer and oh, like cool. set the camera in the Hummer as it's like, beaming out of like this plane right after it landed and it was like really sick shot and i think it's only been shown in trade shows if you go to like there i don't know which trade show but you go there and you can watch it in the headset but they never released it on youtube or anything but we were able to see like this training simulation room that they have for just kind of like terrorist threat situations and that we, our whole thing was like, we need to find a video that doesn't have any guns in it. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, the guys who are in charge of the computer and the training were like, uh, we have like 500 simulations. Um, which ones don't have guns? Like, which one? 
they couldn't think of any, of course. I think eventually we maybe found one, but it, it was a really interesting experience, and I wish that that could have come to, to light. But, you know, these are sort of the things that you end up working on, and then years later, it still hasn't come to light, and you can finally tell the background story. But ultimately, I think that VR is one of these things where you're seeing it used more and more on just traditional film sets, like The Last Lion King. They used it for pre-visualization. Previous Star Wars movies, they'd been using it as well. Um, even with iPads connected and just kind of doing it like that. But ultimately, I think it needs to be a tool in every cinematographer's tool set right now. And I've seen that more and more, like just traditional camera people who are like, which 360 camera should I buy? And they're finally like starting to lean in. So which 360 camera should we buy? I mean, it really depends what you're trying to film. For the series I'm doing with Kevin Epps, that is being shot in VR 180 because we want to go to standard video. We want to go to Netflix and these sort of things and then hook people from there into VR. And I also didn't want to be on camera the entire time interviewing. And also it's just practical on a set. You have to clean up a lot in VR, like Mm. if there's messes and things. So I didn't want to have to clean up half of the stuff. (laughs) So um, basically that's what what led us into it. And then getting really good stereoscopic, which you can't really get out of 3D 360 cameras so much. Got it. Um, In my opinion, it's harder to get six eyes correct than two eyes. I agree. And then you know, the costs and the complications, the, just the amount of footage that it takes to store this. We have about 15 terabytes already, and nice. I still have numerous interviews that I need to do. I actually recently did an interview uh, with a, a group out of Toronto, and they were using stereoscopic 180, but also they, they put a, um, I want to say it was a Connect. It was either the mm. Intel RealSense or a Connect, and they synchronized the two in a game engine so that when you were sitting there looking at somebody you know, who was talking to you, in, it was stereoscopic, but you could also lean around. That's pretty dope. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm all about that sort of thing. I think it's all going toward light fields and holograms. I see that happening a lot more. Like the future TV will be like a glass table that you just have and you put your couch in front of this glass table and all of a sudden these holograms appear. And that's going to be like the thing that people buy. And I don't know how they're going to do it, but it's a nice circular glass table that maybe Apple puts out. And who wouldn't want that in their house? Because right now, I feel like the 3D TV market, it was there. And maybe it could come back with the VR 180, but it's very difficult. Essentially, right now, you can't buy a 3D TV, which is really upsetting because I want to put out footage in 3D. I think 3D TVs could work if you can like get rid of the glasses and that's what james cameron's really been trying to do and why he hasn't released the latest avatars is he's trying to get these theaters to adopt a new type of projection where people can get rid of these glasses especially if you wear glasses and then you wear the 3d glasses you got glasses on glasses it's just but basically i find that the most challenging thing when 3d tvs first came out is there's not enough media now there's tons of media being produced so we should be able to make that nexus happen but unfortunately samsung and a lot of these big tv players have kind of pulled out so it really comes down to them taking a step back in maybe google will produce a 3d tv i think that that would be big innovation for them a technology that people might buy if they can get a 3d tv with tempered glass where you don't need to wear glasses i'm sold give me a price i'll buy it (laughs) well it's funny because at ces and stuff you see these tvs and stuff and i've seen kind of glasses less 3d you put a film on top of the TV and it gives a, like a, almost like a lenticular film. I've seen those and they're all right, but not where it needs to be, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, ultimately what I say it comes down to is communal media versus isolated media. And right now, 
VR is an isolated media. Even if you're tethered to your Chromecast and showing people, it's still one person really experiencing it and another person just watching that experience. And I think multiple people in it, which I think is also pretty cool. But but it's hard to get that going in a home setting right now. These location-based entertainments, which is doing great. They bring up a lot more people to the malls and things like that. In our age of Amazon, that's certainly helpful. But ultimately, I think it comes down to people like communal media because, A, they want to experience things with people together. When you're in a movie theater together, it's a lot more scary than when you're kind of watching it on your own with your cat at home. I think so, at least, you know, hearing other people scream around you or just like a comedy. Sometimes it's funnier when you're with a group of people and you hear someone else laugh. It's contagious. And I think in our age, that's kind of the question right now. We all have iPhones. So even sometimes you might be watching a movie and somebody else is watching their own thing on their phone. Well, my kids don't watch TV without a second screen anymore. It's crazy. Exactly. So how do we get people to, to engage the second screen into the first screen? And so that's like maybe there might be some component to that with this VR series that I'm doing about Kevin Epps, where maybe you can use your phone in some AR fashion while you're watching the series on TV. I don't know. I'm I'm playing around with different ideas, but basically that's still all playing out in the court system. It goes to court. We're interviewing the governor, Gavin Newsom, governor of California. It's pushing a lot of people to, to talk about this, talk about him and what it means to be someone of a diverse community in modern day society with policing. I I think when the film fully comes out, we'll see just how bad the railroading was. But until then, I can't really talk too much, sadly. Fair enough. All right. So what other projects have you got on the go or what what have you done that you want to talk about? So I have been working on a project all about Paradise, California, the fire there that happened last year. And we went there the day that it opened up the day they opened up the town to to people again. And we did some filming with drones and 360 cameras. And it was devastating. It was like the closest to the word apocalypse that I've ever seen in my eyes. It was horrifying. It's sad to see on the news, you only see it for a little bit and you only see it in the standard footage where you don't really get the full grasp of the entire neighborhood that was burned down. You just see kind of like a single picture. So we basically started to collaborate with other filmmakers to put this experience together where you will go to paradise and see this. And kind of the premise being that the PG&E officials who got fined the money, the judge said to them, you also need to go to the city of paradise. You need to see what happened. And he ordered that. And they went like eight months after. So they didn't really get to see the carnage and everything. They saw it after it was cleaned up. So this is kind of an experience really for them in that way and to show other people what happened and why we need more awareness and why we need more fire prevention because it was the deadliest fire in modern U.S. history. And I think a lot of news organizations kind of gloss past that and it became the deadliest fire in California history, but really the deadliest in modern U.S. history in the past hundred years, 86 people died there. You compare it with the year previous, it, it was in the 50s, I believe. So it's horrible that this sort of thing is now normal and that PG&E is just saying, oh, rolling blackouts and these sort of things. But ultimately, they need to be held a lot more accountable. And I think this film will make people think a lot more about that. Amazing. Uh, whether it's the empathy machine or just being able to uh, to put yourself in a, in a place that is maybe already regenerated, being able to go back in history, you're, you're capturing parts of history. So very interesting. 
Yeah, and we layered basically the shots of the aftermath over actual 911 calls as they're kind of coming in near sequential order. And we have a haptic backpack as well. We're using the subpack currently. And so you feel like the, there's a underlayer of wind that's done by our amazing sound designer, Helena. And basically you feel like these haptic vibrations on your back. And it just adds this extra chill factor on the back of your neck hearing these people and it's really like a record and a document to what happened in the nearest sense i mean i've seen a lot of news coverage on it but when you see it in this virtual space you remember it a lot more and that's one of the things that really brought me into vr is that people retain that information a lot more and especially if it's a really powerful experience like this certain things are really in a way VR can help enable people to uh, understand a lot more about what happened in a way that traditional media just has been lagging. And, and maybe it's just because of the fact that we get so much traditional media and that people don't have as many VR experiences. I don't know. Yeah, well, we're just, I, I, somebody was telling me the other day, we're getting between 4,000 and 10,000 uh, media hits a day. Yeah. Each person. Uh, that's insane. How does our, like, how do our brains not explode? And now we're in, we, it's funny because they used to show this, uh, this little uh, cartoon of the attention span of a goldfish was two seconds. Meanwhile, our attention span now as humans is less than a second. So we've actually become less attentive than goldfish. Well, while I have people's attention though, right now on your podcast, thank you very much again for having me on here. I'll plug the film site, which is silenceandparadise.com. And also, if you're interested to follow the Kevin Epps project, we're using the hashtag free Kevin Epps. And he also has a website. I think it's just kevepps.com. So check him out. He has tons of great films on there, too. Like I'm going through all this amazing footage because he shot so many different documentaries. He did one on Alcatraz, all about the African-American experience there. And I remember I was running projection for it, along with this guy who used to do the projection for like the Grateful Dead and stuff. And we're on Alcatraz at night, and they kicked all the tourists off. And then they just brought over two boats of like 500 people. And they watched it in this cafeteria in Alcatraz where people used to get like shanked, probably. And, you oh know, it's goodness. just crazy. And we're watching this, this film about the prisoners. And, you know, it's just crazy looking back on that now through the perspective of himself on trial. Insane. I also want to plug, I will be teaching at SFAI in 2020. Uh, San Francisco Art Institute. Great. So people are interested to learn more about how they can make 360 films, go into SFAI and you can register for a class there. I kind of got roped into it through a friend of mine, Christopher Coppola, who is also a film professor there and just a great guy. He's Nicolas Cage's older brother and also nephew to Francis Ford Coppola. And so we've done some pretty cool 360 experiences uh, that are not posted out yet, but tests with the Insta360 Pro 2 camera on the Coppola winery. Right. And that's something that was a lot of fun to, to shoot, just kind of running around there. And I the, actually the just fields. got their new uh, Evo camera. They were nice enough to send me one. And uh, it's the 180 stereoscopic that switches to a 360 camera. Yeah. So that's the one that we're using primarily for the Kevin X project. I love it. I, I've shot with the K1 a lot too, the Z cam, but yep. this is just small and easier to use, especially if you're filming in court. You don't want something that's big and bulky and that will kind of scare people off. 
And so the small, tiny camera is a little bit less obtrusive in that way. And I found that the stereo is really great. The stereo is great on it. Actually, I was really surprised how good it felt because I normally get a little sick with uh, stereoscopic 360. Well, um, yeah, what's great is because the lenses are so small, you can actually get a lot closer to them than the K1, where you kind of get more of that cross-eye effect uh, happening closer. So yeah. that's another reason I really like it. But always remember to format your card. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. What, are, what other last-minute tips do you have for anybody uh, embarking on their 360 filmmaking journey? I mean, I would suggest checking out SFAI because honestly, like we have a lot of great cameras there um, that we're using to teach students. It's a really great uh, university looking back at the history, like Ansel Adams used to teach there. Catherine Bigelow is a former student. So I would recommend looking to those sort of classes. I also post a lot of stuff on my YouTube channel, um, educational tutorials, as well as just product reviews. So just look up Kevin Coons on YouTube and it should pop up. Awesome. Yeah. I recently had uh, Michael Chabon, the CMO uh, from Insta360 on the show. Great guy. Oh, man. Amazing guy. And I also, I also had the guys from uh, Radiant Images on here. Also wonderful people. Yeah, we do camera rentals in the Bay Area. So if you ever need a 360 cameras, ambisonic audio equipment, let me know. Go to kevincoons.com and uh, send me a link. Amazing. I have one last question for you, Kevin. Yeah. What is one problem in the world you want to see solved using XR Technologies? Well, right now, we just did a piece on homelessness in San Francisco and the Bay Area, which there's a lot of homelessness here. And I think the real big problem there is people don't know what that's like. They don't want to interact. And so we shot a VR series with the YouTube VR Creator Lab and Invisible People, which is a nonprofit that raises awareness about homelessness, started by a former homeless guy. And so basically, this whole idea of this project is trying to build more empathy into people's experiences. And so we show you just kind of a bunch of people who you maybe wouldn't talk with normally. And now you're hearing their stories. And a lot of their stories are so fascinating. Like Mark, the director, was so great at finding these amazing individuals to interview. One of these guys used to be a former millionaire. You know, he was showing us pictures of himself on his boat and everything. And like, you know, he basically lost it all in the uh, recession in real estate, and then his dad got cancer. And so you really start to empathize once you hear their stories. Another person is a firefighter, and now she's going around giving medical attention to homeless people on the street who can't afford it, who can't go to the doctor. And, you know, that's really like a, a powerful story to hear, like this person who's down on their luck, who's still helping out other people. So I think those are the important stories for people to get across. That's on YouTube now. So anyone can watch that with their VR headset or traditional media. I commend you for that. I, I actually one time uh, took a homeless gentleman out for dinner and then we went and played pool and we, we spent a whole night together and just talked. And, and I really, from my standpoint, I wanted to know how did somebody get there? It was just a, a couple of series of bad luck and it could happen to anybody. So really empathizing with people is important. Um, they're, they're just people like everybody else. Yeah. And he has a really cool sixth off experience coming out soon. I don't want to give away when it's coming out, but you can find, see the behind the scenes on his YouTube channel, Invisible People. Highly recommend that because that shows you both like how to do the VR 180 and how to do something that maybe is a little bit more interactive. Amazing. Well, thank you, Kevin. And this has been a really great podcast interview. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Have a great day and I'll see you at the next big conference. 
Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite, to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know, reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're in the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is going to drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.